Romans 10, 9 to 17. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to God's word, asking for God's help, the author. Father God, uh, thank you for this purple passage of Romans, this royal, uh, wonderful passage. Please help me to speak on it as I ought and, and only what I ought. Please help us to hear and to respond as we ought. And Lord, we pray that the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This week, I spoke at a funeral for a Sai Kung resident. That's not something that I, I do all that often in ministry here. It's something that I did much more often in the UK when I was there. Uh, but this week, I did it. And I did what any Christian minister does at a funeral. I spoke on a passage from the Bible and offered a message of grace and of hope in, uh, to, the mor to the mourners. I, I talked about the cross of Christ where we find forgiveness of sin and freedom from guilt. I talked about the resurrection of Christ where we find hope in the face of death. And I invited people to look to Christ, our only comfort in life and death. Just what any Christian minister does in that situation, but after the service, as I spoke with people, I had a conversation that I actually often have after a funeral or a wedding or these occasional offices. Uh, when, you, when you have a, a, a big room of people who maybe aren't normally in church, People sought me out to say, uh, I'm not religious myself, but I want to thank you for what you said. It was just what I needed to hear. I must have heard some variation of that sentence from like 10 people. And I thought, that is so interesting because here are all these people who don't identify with a religion, maybe just the Christian religion in particular that they don't identify with, and yet when they hear the gospel spoken and applied to their lives, they know it's what they need. And it made me wonder, what are these 
people meaning by religious? When they're giving you that um, caveat that they aren't religious, what are they saying they aren't? And I guess they mean that they are not like the Israelites that Paul talks about in Romans 9 to 11. You see, in this section of the letter of Romans, where our reading comes from, uh, Paul is trying to explain to a small church, a small Roman church, why it is that so many Jewish people of that time were rejecting the message of Jesus. After all, the Israelites were a very religious people. They were known for their zeal in worshiping the one true God. They were known to be devout in their observance of the Bible, of the biblical law. They were sincere in their devotion. At the beginning of chapter 9, Paul says that they had every advantage. They had temple worship. They had the covenant promises. They had the example of the patriarchs. The lineage of the Messiah was in their ethnic group. Yet when the message of the death and resurrection of the Messiah was preached all across the known world through the ministry of Paul, well, soon enough, synagogues set themselves up as a center of opposition to that message, opposition to the Christian faith. And as you might expect, that was deeply troubling to the early church. They were thinking, hang on, how is it that God's people aren't receiving God's son when there are these know-nothing Gentiles who are. And of course, there were many Jews who did, but the vast majority didn't. So in Romans 9 to 11, Paul is addressing this real problem. And in our reading from chapter 10, Paul gets to the heart of the problem. It is that some people rejected justification by faith in Jesus because they had come to believe that they could justify themselves by keeping the biblical law. They thought that they could earn their salvation by obedience. That's what that means. Now, that was never the intention of the law. That's never what the Old Testament taught. The law was always meant to bring people to faith in the God of grace who justifies. But in their zeal to justify themselves, the most religious people of that day made religion an obstacle to salvation. And so Paul points out that salvation does not come through being a religious person, whatever that might mean. In fact, religious people tend to complicate matters a whole lot when salvation is actually quite simple according to the Bible. And that's the first major thing we have to see this morning is that salvation comes through believing the truth about Jesus. Salvation comes through believing the truth about Jesus. The mouth and the heart, they're often really closely connected in Scripture, Old Testament and New. Jesus says that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouth speaks. So it's what we believe deep inside of us that comes out in what we say and what we do. 
And here, Paul, drawing on Moses' final sermon in Deuteronomy 30, makes the same connection between what we say and what we believe. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Salvation and justification are just two ways of talking about being made right with God. No longer being under his wrath due to our sin, but being made righteous in his sight, acceptable to him, pleasing even. And the way that we're saved is through faith. But it's not just some vague belief. It's not a a, a Disney movie, just believe sort of message. Just believe in any old thing. It is those who believe something specific about Jesus who are saved. Jesus is Lord. That is one of the, the earliest summaries of the Christian message in the New Testament. It's found throughout the New Testament, and and it draws on a Jewish tradition, actually, that any time they'd be reading the Old Testament scriptures, they'd come across the proper name of God, Yahweh, they would read out Adonai, which means Lord. And it was a way of preserving and protecting the holiness of God's name. We don't want to use God's name in vain, they thought, so we won't even say it at all. That will keep us from using it in vain, and we'll call him Lord. So when we declare that Jesus is Lord, it is rightly understood as a profound statement about who Jesus is. Uh, There is a political element to it because Jesus is Lord and and Caesar is not ultimately Lord. Yeah, he's the the emperor. We pay him honor, but he's not Lord. Lord. So there is a political element to it, but there is a more profoundly theological element to it, that Jesus is Lord. He is the God of the Old Testament. He is God in the flesh. Come near, Emmanuel, God with us. So to declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord is to confess him as Lord and God. And Paul also then talks about uh, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Because the the Christian faith is not just an allegiance to an abstract theological idea somewhere out there in the ether. We we believe that Jesus is Lord and, and, and that's it. It is a belief that in Jesus, God acted concretely in history. Jesus came in the flesh. He suffered under Pontius Pilate is what we just declared together. That identifies him with a very particular place at a very particular time in history. He lived and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected on the third day. Christians believe that something miraculous actually happened. A dead body was raised to life. 
And that is so unlike religious myths that we read, in, whether it's Hinduism, Chinese traditional religion, um, the Greek pantheon. You have all these stories about what the gods have done and, and said, and, and nobody really believes that they happened at some point in history. They're meant to teach you some truth about the world, about God, but it didn't happen. Even the practitioners of those faiths wouldn't really say they happened usually. But the Christian faith looks back at a historical place and time and person where God acted. And that is so essential to our faith that in the second letter of John, chapter 1, he says that anyone who does not confess that Jesus came in the flesh is a deceiver and the antichrist. Now that is a strong statement. But it is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ that saves someone. In fact, the Bible says it is this faith that saves anyone. It's this faith that saves everyone, says Paul. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, he's quoting from the Old Testament. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all who riches who richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and from the Old Testament prophet Joel to show that, there has, that this has always been the way that God has worked. There was never a time when God saved people by their own good works, and there will never be a time when he does. Eternal salvation has always been received by grace through faith, and not just faith in general, but belief in a particular message about the person and work of Jesus. Old covenant believers looked forward to the promised Messiah. New covenant believers look back to the promised Messiah. And I think that is so important for us to get straight because, and this is the point, it really clarifies the mission of our church, doesn't it? It really clarifies the mission of our church. There are many things that we can offer to the world. There really are. We can offer real community to a world that is increasingly isolated and lonely. Loneliness levels are off the charts in most of the, most of the developed world. And we can offer community. We can offer a coherent and, and a consistent worldview, a way of looking at life that has purpose and meaning and gives value to things. We can present opportunities for people to show practical care for other people, serving people, loving them practically looking after them. We can provide a moral framework for life. And there are so many parents that when they think of the church, they think, I, I should really get my child involved there because they need a framework, a moral framework for life. Now, we can offer all those things, and it's good for us to offer all those things. But if people are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's nothing more important for us to do 
than to help people come to faith. All sorts of things that we might do can help them temporarily, but this one thing can help them eternally. And so we have to ask, how does God bring people to saving faith? Or put another way, how do people come to believe in the person and work of Jesus? If that's the thing that gives salvation, how do they come to believe? And that's the second major point, saving faith comes by hearing the good news about Christ. It comes from hearing the good news about Christ. Verses 14 and 15, Paul analyzes what needs to happen for somebody to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. He says, how then can they call on the one in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anybody preach unless they're sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? So in order for people to come to believe and be saved, they first need to hear the gospel. But in order for people to hear the gospel, they need to have someone preach the gospel. And in order for someone to preach the gospel, they need to be sent. It's logical enough, isn't it? We, we kind of know this, don't we? But I guess many of us will sometimes pray that friends or family or colleagues can be saved. I know I pray that. But how do we imagine that God is going to answer our prayers? Do we think that they'll be struck with a lightning bolt of faith from the sky? If so, we've got to rethink that. You know, God uses certain means to bring people to faith. Ordinary, the, the ordinary way that God brings people to faith is the sharing of the gospel. Unless a person hears about who Jesus is and what he's done for them, they cannot believe. It's not going to happen. The ordinary means is hearing the gospel. And so if we are keen for people to be saved, we must help them to hear the gospel message. We've got to, to help them, smiling and being friendly and and being a good person, that is not going to bring people to saving faith. Volunteering for a charity or mentoring a younger person, that is not going to bring someone to saving faith. Even praying regularly is not going to bring someone to faith. Now, all of these things can play a part in in um, getting someone ready to hear. We need the, the sovereign Lord to open someone's ears. We, we need to come into contact with people in order to, to speak the gospel to them. Charity can be that way. And, and, and all the things that we do and, and being a nice person can be the way that we come into contact with people. But if they're going to come to faith, they need the gospel. They need to hear it. 
They need to read it. They, they need the good news about Jesus because faith comes by hearing, says Paul. It's the ordinary way God uses to save. And so this brings me to the final point of this morning. It's that God sends all of us Christians out as messengers with a mission. You, 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 you are a messenger with a mission. I am one. Look again at how Paul characterizes everybody who spreads the good news of Jesus. He says in verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so going back, thinking about that funeral earlier this week, it reinforced for me something that I already knew, and yet I very easily forget it. I very quickly begin to doubt it. It reminded me that there are many, many people living amongst us who do not consider themselves religious, do not think that they have any interest in the Christian faith, and yet when they hear the good news about Jesus communicated and applied to their situation, they say, that is what I need. I need that for me. They find it deeply compelling, and how could it not be? Because through the gospel, God offers grace for guilty people. He offers forgiveness to flawed people. He offers hope to despairing people. He offers eternity to dying people. Friends, you may know many people who are ready to receive the gospel. But who are they going to hear it from? Will you be the one to share it? There are so many different ways to do that as well. You could just speak to somebody about Jesus, of course. Or you know that they're going through something, and you've read a book that's helpful on that from a Christian perspective. You can hand that off to them. One of my favorite ways, and I think one of the easiest ways, is I try to get my Christian friends and my non-Christian friends together. I have a barbecue, I have a dinner party, I have something that I, I try to get people from all the spheres of my life together because I know that when somebody comes into contact with more Christian people, they are however many times more likely to have something of the gospel spoken. So just being a, a bit hospitable is one of the ways that the gospel message can be heard. You could bring them to church, an evangelistic talk. But if the gospel is God's chosen way of granting salvation, then we need to work on getting the message out one way or another, one means or another. But we shouldn't expect everyone that we share the gospel with to come to faith. And that's what Paul says in verse 16, not even those who had been prepared for the gospel for thousands of years beforehand came to faith, accepted the, the, the news of the law and the prophets. Only a miraculous work of God is going to bear fruit in the life of somebody and allow them to, to, to come to faith. But if we go out, if we all go out knowing our mission, 
to the world involves the verbal communication of the gospel, then we will see spiritual fruit from that. Because there are many people living among us who are ready, ready to hear, ready to believe, and they're just waiting for somebody to tell them. Let's be those people. Let's let our church be that way that God uses. So we'll just pause for a moment, and um, I will pray in just a minute, but I'd like you to spend the next minute thinking, what can I do to put people under the sound of the gospel? What kind of hospitality, what kind of uh, conversation, what kind of, how am I going to make it happen? I'll pray in just a moment. Father, I want to thank you that there are many here who do seek to share the gospel. I want to thank you for their faithfulness, for their love, and for their obedience to you. But Lord, I'm sure that in a, a gathering of Christians of any size, there are some where the silence is deafening. And so I pray that you would convict us if we need to be convicted of where we, we've been unwilling to speak the gospel or to ensure that it goes out, and that you would help us mercifully turn our hearts and, and give us a, a renewed conviction and a renewed love and send us out, send us out on this mission to, to share the faith. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, in small ways and large, that it would bear fruit, that we would have the joy of being able to see you at work, bringing people to faith and, and deepening um, their faith, uh, growing your kingdom. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.